All right, so we're going to be back where we left off in our study of the Spirit-inspired work of Luke in his account of the gospel. The gospel being the good news, Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. And I, I, I know I, I might say this often because it's true. I've really been enjoying our study of Luke, and I hope you have as well. Uh, it's been great to see how God's, work, uh, God's word is relevant to today, relevant to what we're going through so far in Luke, I'm going to do a, just a very quick uh, recap of where we're at. So far in Luke, we have seen that we can have certainty in our faith because God has spoken. Uh, both philosophically and practically, because if, if God had not spoken, if he has not revealed himself, then we are unable to be certain of anything, unable to really know anything. But he has spoken, so we can be certain, especially in our postmodern world that's very against certainty, we can be certain. We've seen so far in Luke that Jesus is the long-awaited, prophesied about Messiah King. He is Savior, He is Lord, He is Messiah, the God-man who perfectly obeyed, which we can receive through faith. We've seen that God has chosen us for salvation by His grace alone. We have seen that God keeps His word and His promises. Just as he has done with Abraham, with David, and so on in the Old Testament, he continues today. Even with what we're going through, God will not be unfaithful. He will continue to be faithful to his promises to you. We have seen that even while we wait on God and we ask, how long? God is with us and he will act. We have seen that God calls us as godly troublemakers, proclaiming the truth to the lost because we love the lost. Because it's only the truth that will set them free. We've seen that Jesus is the reconciler of all peoples to God and the only reconciler to each other. We've seen that Jesus has been victorious over temptation, which Israel wasn't, which Moses wasn't, which David wasn't, which Abraham wasn't, and so on and so forth, but Jesus Christ was. And through him, we also can be victorious over temptation. We've seen that the social gospel, a false gospel that perverts the true gospel of grace, and redefines it as what we must do for others rather than what Jesus has done for us. We've seen that this gospel is damning and that is raging in churches, seminaries, schools today, and we must be on guard against it. We've seen that we are totally depraved and lost in our sin, but God's grace and forgiveness is far greater. We've seen that we, we are not to resist the work God is doing in our lives but to allow his lordship in every area of our lives. We've seen that following Jesus comes at a cost and a sacrifice, and if we just go with the spirit of the age, we won't meet any opposition. It'll be pretty easy. We have seen that we are to love unconditionally like Christ has and not necessarily how the world defines it. We see that Jesus is wholly compassionate and forgiving. We've seen that if you're looking for an excuse to reject truth, you'll find one. And we just see over and over how good and gracious Jesus is. So it's been good. And I know we'll continue to go through Luke and it will continue to be good, good, and more gooder for those English people. It'll be very gooder. But in our passage today, it's a little long one and there's different sections in here or different scenes, if you will, that Luke records. But there is one main theme through it all and that's why we take it together. And that theme is this. Take care how you listen to God's word. Take care how you listen to God's word because it makes all the difference. Uh, We typically critique someone's sermon 
And we should. I will forever tell you to critique every single sermon of mine, to compare it to God's word, just as the Bereans were commended. You ought to. You should. You should compare all. You should compare every message you hear to God's word. Because there are a lot of false teachers out there that we see in the New Testament. So it is good to heed how one preaches. And we see in this passage, we should also heed how one listens to God's word. And this should not be surprising. We've seen so far in Jesus this emphasis on preaching and teaching. He has touched on chapter 6, if you remember, uh, the house built on the rock, the foundation, the house built on sand. And what is the difference between them? Is one heard and did, the one other one heard but did not do. So we, we see this theme already building. And now he really brings it home in this passage immensely, if I can add. So as we go through this passage, as we work through it, there's one thing to ask yourself. How are you listening to God's word? How are you responding and relating to God's word? And so Luke opens up as kind of a summary uh, verse 1, he says, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provide for them other means. And so we see, uh, Luke says, soon after. So this is soon after the events we saw just previously, when Jesus is over at Simon the Pharisee's house, when the forgiven woman, who has a public uh, uh, reputation for being a sinner, comes in, that whole uh, account. This is soon after that. And we see that Jesus picks up with the priority of his ministry, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. When we see this proclaiming, what that word means is to publicly and authoritatively herald this message that must be heard and must be obeyed. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's heralding this message that needs to be heard and needs to be obeyed. And this word for, uh, for preaching or bringing the good news is the word where we get our English words evangelism, evangelize. It's preaching the good news. And we see uh, Luke, as we've seen throughout Luke so far, he takes it to preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And so what is this? It is the good news that the king is here. The Messiah king is here. And he has come to inaugurate his long-awaited kingdom. He has come as God's agent of blessing for all those who respond to God's word with faith and obedience. It's great news because the king is merciful, he's gracious, and he is forgiving. And he reigns, for he has all authority and all power, as we see in Matthew 20 at the Great Commission. And so Jesus comes. He continues with this priority of preaching and proclaiming his word. And then, so we see here right at the beginning, Luke emphasizes this. Jesus continuing to go out with his, his, uh, his purpose. And then we see the rest of this passage is all about, okay, so how do we hear? How are we listening to this word that's being proclaimed? And Luke mentions people who are following him. In this kind of summary, he refers to the twelve, who he chose back in chapter 6. He chose the twelve, which one of them is a traitor, being Judas. And then he says there's a group of women that's also going with them. It was common at that time for a, a rabbi or, or a teacher going around to be supported uh, by women financially with different resources, but it was not common that the ladies would go with them. And so we see that this is what Jesus is doing. 
that these ladies had a, a very valuable role of supporting Jesus in the Twelve uh, financially with other different resources. What Jesus was doing, this preaching, was that valuable that they were investing in this. We, we see Mary Magdalene uh, mentioned, and we see her mentioned quite frequently through these accounts of the gospel. The Magdalene um, suggests she's from the region of, of Magdala, which is just west shore of the Sea of Galilee. So you got Mary Magdalene. Uh, we'll see her throughout the life of Christ that she remains faithful. She's at the crucifixion. She's at the resurrection. Mary Magdalene. Then you've got Joanna with her, uh, who is also, we'll see later, was at Jesus' resurrection, Joanna. But what's, uh, what's very important about the presence of Joanna's name is that her husband is Chusa, who's a, an administrative uh, assistant or official in Herod's court. So just as John the Baptist, he proclaimed to the secular authorities that you need to obey God in his law and his word, Jesus' message is reaching to the secular authorities as well. It's to that extent it is going out. And you have Joanna coming. Then you've got Susanna and many others. This is the only time Susanna's mentioned, so we don't know too much about her. But we see that there's other ladies as well going. These women expressed their faith and their obedience by supporting Jesus and the, the, the apostles with different resources and, and what else they're all are doing here. Uh, a few things before we jump in that's important about this passage with these ladies. Number one, the good news of the kingdom of God is for all people, no matter race, uh, ethnicity, uh, social, gender, whatever. The call to repent and believe and follow Christ is for all people. Second, these ladies are an example of faith. And this is uh, in line with what Luke has been doing. If you remember the forgiven woman, she's an example of faith. Um, the, the official, the centurion, he was an example of faith. And now we have these ladies as an example of faith. But even more than that, tying to what Luke is doing here, they are examples of those who listened and obeyed God's word. And so we have front-loaded in this message of Jesus about responding to God's word, we have front-loaded an example of ladies doing exactly that. And then we come to Jesus' teaching. Verse 4, a, 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 a parable that many of us may be familiar with. Verse 4, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell in the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So a massive group comes to Jesus. It says town after town, they're coming to Jesus. And with this big crowd, what is the message Jesus gives? How you're responding to his message, to his word, is what he proclaims on. And we got the parable. Like I said, it's a picture we can identify with as we garden, as we see farmers in their fields. We can identify with what this parable is saying. So Jesus says, a sower went out to the field. And at that time, a sower, what it would look like is that he's got a big bag of seed on his shoulder, what you can imagine, and he's just tossing the seed. And as you can probably imagine, it doesn't always go where he wants it to go, right? Whoever threw a football knows it doesn't always go where you want it to go. So he's throwing seed and it's landing on different areas. And that's where the four soils come in. The first one we see 
is a path, either going through the field or on the side of it. And many of us are familiar with this. We've got uh, paths going through our woods. We've got well-worn paths through fields to get to the other side and get to different areas. We're, we're pretty aware of this. And we see that the seed fell on this hardened path. It gets trampled on by people walking on it. And then eventually the birds come and eat it. That's the first fail. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to it. Or at least Jesus will as well. The second soil is described as seed falling on the rock. Now, in the hill country that Jesus is speaking, this type of soil was pretty common. So it was not like ours where we look at fields and there's literally rocks everywhere, right? It's not like that. What it was in that, in that land was it's rather a topsoil about an inch deep. And then underneath it was hard rock limestone. You can't see it because it looks good. It looks like a good field. There's topsoil, but there's hard rock just below the surface. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's referring to this. And so we see the, the seed began to grow in this thin layer of topsoil, but then it withers away because it cannot go very deep because of the rock and it does not have any moisture, right? That's the second soil. Jesus will come back to it. The third soil is a patch of land with weeds and thorns. Can we relate? Like, how frustrating is this? We, we understand that you don't do this on purpose, right? You don't throw seed. Oh, there's a good patch of thorns. Let's throw some seed in there and see what happens. Obviously, that's not what the purpose is. But these, these weeds grow up with it. At that time, if you're interested, they had weeds that usually grew about six feet tall. And then they would bud with blue, red, and yellow flowers. Some of us who don't really garden, like, hey, it's a pretty flower, but it's actually a weed. It's not good. So that's the third soil. And then you get the fourth soil, which Jesus describes as good. And obviously so, because it actually grows and it produces fruit. And that is where Jesus stops. He just stops there and then he calls out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is a call to respond to the word of God. This call also implies that there are some who do not have ears to hear. There are some that do not want to listen to God's word. There are some that are lost, wandering, or running from God. They don't want to hear. They don't have ears to hear. And if you're like me, thankfully, the disciples also wondering, what does this parable have to do with anything? So they asked Jesus, thankfully. And then he goes on, verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. So that, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, there are those who hear in the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So before Jesus explains the parable, he divides people up into two groups. He divides in two groups. And this division should not surprise us. Uh, I've been reading through John, and multiple times John records Jesus spoke, and there was division among the people about him and what he has said. Jesus spoke, and there was a division. That's what, exactly what Jesus is telling us here. 
This first group that's, that Jesus divides, this first group consists of the apostles. And I would say, by extension, us, us believers today. Jesus says that to you it has been given to know the secrets of God. So the first thing to know is that it's been given to you. God has given you. He has opened your eyes to the truth. In Matthew 11, we were familiar with, or the, the words of, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Amazing passage. Right before that passage, Jesus prays and thanks the Father. Thank you, Lord, for hiding these truths from the wise and revealing them to little children. And so we see God giving. This is given from God. He says he's given the, to know the secrets of God or the mysteries, your, your translation might say. Where you might be asking, well, what are these secrets and mysteries of God? And that's a good question. First, what they are not. They are not hidden in secret truths that are mystical and esoteric where only the elite Christians can feel their way to. That's not what that is. That's actually a form of Gnosticism, which is absolute heresy. That is not what these mysteries are. Rather, we see in the New Testament, the word mystery is used to refer to truths hidden during the Old Testament era that have now been revealed in the New Testament era. Uh, for example, uh, Romans 16, 25-26, Paul writes this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the beings of faith. It was hidden, but now it's disclosed. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 will say the same. Colossians 1, 26 speaks of the same. Uh, one more I want to say is Ephesians 3, 4 through 5. Paul writes, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by his apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so this, this word mystery, the mysteries of the kingdom, isn't some mystical thing out there. Rather, it's what was not revealed in the Old Testament, was spoken about but not understood, has now been revealed in the, the New Covenant era. So that's what he's referring to. And in fact, uh, if you see later in our passage, Jesus compares this God's word, this revelation, as a lamp. It's shown. It's not hidden. It's shown. It's not something secret like that. And if I, if I can go on here, just give you some examples. Uh, throughout the New Testament, we're told of these mysteries. Romans 11.25 tells us the mystery of the hardening of ethnic Israel. 1 Corinthians 15.51 tells us of the mystery of the return of Christ. Ephesians 1.9 tells us the mystery of the plan to unite all things in Christ. Ephesians 3.6 tells us the mystery of Gentile inclusion. Amen? All those Gentiles out there, amen. We can be included. Uh, Ephesians 5.32 tells us the mystery of the union of Christ and his bride, the church. Colossians 1.27 tells us the mystery of the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ. And 1 Timothy 3.16 and others tell us the mystery of the gospel account of Jesus coming, his virgin birth, the incarnation, perfect life, death, uh, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And then the kingdom parables, as we'll see through Luke and Matthew, they reveal more truth concerning the kingdom in terms of its expansion, in terms of its growth. All that being said, so what we see here, this division Jesus makes between groups are those that God has given the truth in the sense that he's revealed it. He's opened their eyes to the truth. Then you've got the second group. 
And we see it consists of those who do not understand these glorious mysteries and do not have, uh, was not given to them to know it. Rather, the truth is in parables, Jesus says. And as, as, as Bob said, um, he points to Isaiah 6. And the word so that, that phrase so that, it's, it's indicating this is the reason for, this is the purpose, this is why he's doing this. And he quotes Isaiah 6. And that might ring some bells um, because in, in the beginning of Isaiah 6, or it might be the whole of Isaiah 6, is Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God that uh, I've brought up. It's been brought up by other people. It's, it's a common view. It's Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God. And that's what Jesus is quoting from. Uh, let me pick this up. Let me and listen to this. This is what Jesus is quoting from. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Referring Isaiah is saying this. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And so uh, that originally referred to um, the exile. But Jesus is pulling from this. And can you hear in that passage the language of judgment, right? It is full of judgment. And so we see that the parables act as a form of judgment on those who respond to God's word with unbelief, with hardened hearts, who trample it under under their foot. And so it's a form of, of judgment. It's like when you're in a dark room, right? Uh, whether uh, a movie theater, I'm trying to think of other dark rooms, in the basement that has no windows. And you go outside in the midday, the sun's up, it's bright. You go out, and you're like, your eyes have to close, right? It's blind, you close your eyes, you give your, 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 your eyes a few, kind of a few seconds to adjust. And that's the same thing with God's truth. That those who have hard hearts, uh, who are in unbelief, God's word is spoken, and they close their eyes, but they don't open them up. The, the truth causes them to close their eyes because they're, it's already, it's made plain to them, but it's their unbelief. It's their sin that darkens it by their own blindness. And then after Jesus divides, like, hey, there are those who are going to believe and there's those who are not. Then he explains the parable. Follow with this. And I know we're, some of us are familiar with this, but please follow along. You've got the seed that Jesus says is the word of God. And the soils are different here. Remember, the whole message in this whole passage is take care how you listen to God's word. And so the soils are different here, or, or that is different hearts, the hearts of those who are listening. And the word of God, listen, all hear it. All the, all the soils get the seed, but not all of them respond with, with fruit in the same way. So you got the first soil, right? Jesus comes back. He explains it. The soil that's on the path. He says, they are those, hear the, hear the word of God, but they do not listen. The path is beaten down, right? It's a path. It's repeatedly beaten down. It's stepped on continually. And so are the hearts of these people. They're hardened to the word. The path is hardened. Their hearts are hardened. And as a result, the word is trampled by foot, as Jesus says back into this parable. 
In their hardness of heart, they abuse, they misuse, they ignore, and they detract from the word of God. They trample it underfoot. And because it's hardened, the word is unable to dig deep in their hearts. And then you've got the devil that's pitched by the the birds that come and they remove the word from their minds. And this may sound familiar. uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, we've read this before. Paul writes, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Every time we share the truth, every time we proclaim God's word, there's a spiritual battle going on. Saint is there. He does not want people to believe. Uh, this week, uh, I've been reading uh, John 8. I said I was reading through John. And John 8 records, uh, I would say, a harsh uh, conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And I bring it up because there's two um, descriptions Jesus tells the Pharisees that I think can connect with this group or better get a better idea. So in this exchange, Jesus says this. In John 8, 37, Jesus tells the Pharisees that they seek to kill him because my words find no place in you. It's not able to dig deep. There's no place in you. And then in verse 43, Jesus says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You cannot bear it. And so we get this picture with this, those who respond like the hardened path, they can't bear to hear his word. The word finds no place in them. And Satan has blinded their eyes, and as a result, they do not believe. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Satan, he's okay with you hearing it, but not believing. Second soil is those on the rock. And we see here that they, they respond with joy initially, right? There's much enthusiasm, there's passion, there's emotion, there's joy, there's excitement, there's driving motion, it gets so real. But there's no root. The seed is only on that top soil. And there's that hard rock underneath, and it can't get any deeper than that. They have not allowed the Word of God to take root in their lives, to be the authority, to be, as Jesus says, uh, we can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Under the surface, what looks good is just a heart of stone. And so they have zeal and excitement for a time, but then they fall away when testing come, and it will come. We're promised over and over by Jesus that the world will hate you. The world will hate you. The world will hate you. Not only that, but hardships are coming. Trials are coming through. Like many of us are going through. There's trials coming. It's going to test. It's going to test you. And if the word is not dug deep, you're going to fall away. It had no moisture because it had no root. It had no, no nourishment because it couldn't get deeper. And as a result, they wither away. The third soil we see here is those among the thorn bushes and weeds. These are the people who hear the word, as Jesus explains, they go out into their weeks, into uh, their lives, their jobs, their families, all that. But the word of God is choked out by the, the prioritizing and focusing on other things as more important. Other cares, other, other, things, uh, uh, other things of the world, money, what we want, uh, popularity, our own personal idols. And Jesus says that the start of their fruit is worthless because it does not come to to maturity. And keep in mind, this isn't sudden, right? Weeds grow, they start small, and slowly they get... I shouldn't say slowly, they do come up pretty fast, but it's a gradual process. In the same way with these people who hear God's word, 
slowly other things become more important than what God's Word says. Slowly something else becomes more important than responding to God's Word with faith and obedience. Slowly the cares of the world starts choking the Word where then it's just not enough and it withers away, it dies. The cares of the world are prioritized rather than God's Word and as a result, the fruit is worthless. Then we come to the fourth soil, the good soil. And these are the people who not only hear the word, but as Jesus says, they hold it fast with an honest and good heart. This is a a believing heart. This honest and good refers to a, a moral quality and integrity that ends up or results in righteous acts. In other words, it's a believing and obeying heart. It's a believing and obeying heart. They truly believe that they cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of uh, the, word, the mouth of God. Their hope and trust is in God's word because their hope and trust is in God himself. They receive comfort and strength by the Spirit through his word. And let me say, this is not an empty action. Holding fast with a good and, and, and honest heart is not an empty action. This is an action full of love, devotion, risk, discipline, and courage. If you remember back in John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. They know it and they follow. It's the sweet fellowship. We know Jesus' voice and we follow him. It's a sweet fellowship. It's daring and it's risky and it's an adventure. No question with that. So in no way is this, this action of holding fast with a good and honest heart, in no way is it empty or devoid of affection. And please notice, it is the only soil, the only response that results in fruit. It's the only one. All the four, it's the only one. Many obstacles prevent this fruit bearing. We see it. We see there's spiritual warfare. We see hardened hearts. There's resistance. There's other priorities. But it's only this, this faithful, this patient, this obedient, uh, and a reception that produces fruit. And notice, it is God's word that bears the fruit. Uh, Colossians 1. Paul writes this, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when, he pr- when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. It is the, the seed that's sown, the word of God, that, that produces this fruit in our lives as we respond with an honest and good heart. Notice, and I don't want to jump over this, bear fruit in patience. You see it? In patience. And I'm sure uh, we can ask any farmer, uh, Bob, uh, I don't know, is Ryan here? Yeah, here's Ryan. We can ask any, uh, any of us with gardens. It takes time. Longer than we hope. It takes a lot of time. And so we need to continually be renewing our minds, as Paul says in Romans and Ephesians, renew our minds with God's Word. It takes time, uh, allowing the Spirit of God to use His Word to transform us into the image of Christ. And we are to bear fruit with patience because it's not easy. There's a lot of obstacles. We see that alone in this passage, uh, a tendency to harden hearts, pride, not wanting the resistance, not wanting to do anything with God's Word, to make any changes, uh, priority. There's other things. But we continue with patience. And when I think of that, I just, I, I, I naturally just try to apply it 
I hold the truth in patience that the gospel of God is the power of salvation. And I, in case you will, unceasingly teach the gospel to Sawyer and the little one in her, in her womb because we believe that God's word is fruitful. It is the seed that produces fruit. And we will unceasingly continue to preach the gospel in patience. We hold to them. And so we hold, we're to hold fast with a good and honest heart to the word of God because then it will produce fruit in patience. So that's the parable. If that was not enough, Jesus continues. Verse 18. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And so he challenges. There's that challenge to hear, take care how you hear. He gives us the picture of a lamp to show that how you respond will be exposed in the end. It will be exposed. Those who have a hard heart, who superficially look like they're responding, you will be exposed. Those who focus on other priorities, the word of God may be spoken about, but there's not really doing anything to affect the life. Your, your response will be exposed. And those who hold fast to the word of God, that will be exposed as well. And so it's this call to respond to the word of God like the forced soil with an honest and good heart, with repentance, uh, faith, and obedience. And the picture Jesus gives us is an obvious statement, right? Who lights a light just to cover it? No one does. And that's obvious to Jesus' hearers as well. So the light being God's word, we can't cover it. We need to allow it to expose every area of our lives, our work life, our family life, our, our leisure and, and our, our hobbies. We need to allow it to expose where sin is, where we need to make any changes. The call is also not to hide it, but to proclaim it. Proclaim it to the nations. Proclaim it to our neighbors, to our community when we have opportunity. So Jesus tells us to do this because everything will be made known and come to light. And that's why Jesus says, take care then how you hear. There's consequences to how you hear. He says, the one who has more will be given. The one who is responding with faith and obedience, they will have spiritual blessing, continued spiritual blessing as they're conforming to the image of Christ and live in accordance to what God has tended. But those, again, he's dividing, but those who do not hear what he even thinks he has will be taken away. They won't listen. When they do, those who don't listen, they won't receive blessing. And notice the self-deception. Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This person may, may think that they're responding to God's word, but clearly they're not. And we see this kind of with James as well, right? Those who, uh, those who hear the word but do not actually allow it to affect their lives, affect their marriage, affect their finances, affect their view of work. These people are deceiving themselves. James says the same exact thing. So what we see here clearly from Jesus is that neutrality to God's word is not possible. Neutrality is not possible. Either you're responding with faith and obedience or you're not. And you're just hearing it and you're responding like the other three soils. Uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this, preaching will enrich you or impoverish you according to how you hear. The same sun that melts the ice cube, bakes the clay bricks. 
The same sun that melts ice cube is the same one that bakes the clay bricks. So take care then how you hear. Guard your heart from being pulled by these other priorities. Guard your heart from only running on emotion, but rather than letting the Word of God dig deep uh, into you. Guard your heart from trampling the Word or having contempt for it, viewing it as not authoritative. And then our passage ends with this. It's a scene. It can be sometimes confusing. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, seemingly like a nice guy, like, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is not saying rejecting his family. That's not what he's doing. That's not the purpose. It's hyperbolic. It's exaggerated to make his point here. Is that those who really know him, those who are part of his family, those who have the Spirit of God working in them and through them are those who hear the Word of God and are doing it, are obeying it, are applying it. One cannot claim to be a voice of reason or spirituality without knowing God's Word and obeying it. Jesus identifies with those who are following him, obeying his Word. And we'll see as we continue on, as Luke goes on, he talks about discipleship uh, later in Luke. We'll see that this is um, repeated about prioritizing Jesus, our response to Jesus, even over our family. He does that at least two times, I believe, in Luke. So we see from this, a proper and the right hearing of God's word is with a good and honest heart, with a believing and obeying heart. And I can't emphasize this enough, this is not some nebulous or academic exercise. This affects everything in our lives. It affects uh, practical implications in how you relate to your boss at work, how you work, uh, how your marriage should be, how you should raise and discipline your children, how you should work out your finances, if you should go to college and which one to go to, who to marry, who to be friends with, how to respond in all different situations and relationships. It's everywhere. It affects every single thing we do. Compare this to the Great Commission, our commission, to make disciples of all nations. How? Number one, baptizing them in the name of the triune God. And two, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Discipleship. We've got to bring this to a close here. Imagine this. The sower sees this. He sees this all going on. The, the, some soil with the weeds, some soil that's hardened, there's nothing at all. And there's that other soil, the good soil, that's producing fruit. He's upset because he's not getting the amount of fruit that he wants. So he goes into the, the, the shop that he got the seed from. Imagine he, got, he has one more remaining bag of seed and he slams it on the counter looking at the, the shopkeeper. The shopkeeper obviously notices that he's upset. And the sower looks at him and says, your seed is bad. It has not produced the crop that I wanted nor expected. There's something wrong with it. Your seed is bad. What do you expect the shopkeeper to respond with? He would say, there's nothing wrong with my seed. My seed will go out and will do exactly what I purposed it to accomplish. The seed being the word is the power of the salvation. It sanctifies, it strengthens, and instills hope. The problem is not my seed, it's your soil. And so in the same way, God says to you and me, 
If you're not seeing the fruit and the results that you want with God's word, the problem is not God's word, it is your heart. Your heart is hard. Your heart is going after other things and different cares. Your heart is a heart of unbelief. Your heart refuses to obey. It's not God's word that is the problem. It's your heart. So then how should we hear God's word this morning for us today? Should we hear with unbelief? Should we hear without repentance, without obedience? No. We should not respond like the first soil. Should we hear only with enthusiasm and great emotion and joy and passion, but not dive deep or let the Word of God dive deep into us? No, we should not be like the second soil. Shall we hear with a superficial commitment, say we believe God's Word, yet our lives do not show it, and we have other priorities far greater than just uh, the Word of God? Shall we be like the third soil? No. Rather... Shall we hear with an honest and good heart? Shall we unceasingly plumb the bottomless depths of God's word? Shall we cherish and honor it? Shall we memorize it? Shall we believe it and obey it? Shall we teach it to our children as they walk by the way, as we sit down, as we lie down? Shall we share it with co-workers and friends? Shall we uh, memorize it, encourage others with it, confront others with it? Shall we do this all confidently and patiently expecting fruit? Yes, that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to. So if you're here this morning and you're listening and you are not following Christ, the clear call is to hear with repentance and faith. Your sin will be exposed in the end. It will be made known. Judgment is coming, as promised. Judgment is coming. But turn from your sin to Christ. In Christ there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is unceasing mercy in Christ. And Christian... You, how are you hearing God's word? That's the whole point of the, this passage. Take care how you listen. How are you hearing God's word? Are you holding fast to it? Are you letting it dig deep into your mind and your heart? Are you, imparted by the Spirit and God's grace, obeying it, applying it to your marriage, family, work, finances, all of it? Because it's through faith and obedience you'll become like Christ and your affections will be transformed to God's will. The foundation, we see from this passage, the foundation of our faithful hearing and of fruit in our lives and in our spouse's lives, in our kids' lives, in our co-workers' lives, in our friends' lives, it's all from the faithful reading and preaching of the Word of God and the receiving of it in faith and obedience. And so we as a church unapologetically we trust that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Romans 1, 16. For our lost kids, our lost family members, for our lost co-workers, our lost, lost friends. We trust that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. We trust that if we abide in God's word, we are truly Jesus' disciples and the truth will set us free. John 8, 31, 32. We trust that it's God's word the Spirit uses to sanctify us and make us more like Christ in all areas. John 17, 17. We trust that it is the word of God that revives and replenishes the soul, Psalm 19, 7, and rejoices the heart, Psalm 19, 8. I could go on and on and on about the majesty and the power of the word of God, the very words of the living God as the Spirit uses and speaks the words that we read, that we have right before us. And praise God, because without his word, we would be lost. We would be lost in our sins and our death, and we'd be waiting for judgment. And the wrath of God would just be continuing to add up. Add up, add up. But praise God, he has spoken. And it gives life. And not only 
that we respond to the word of God, but we also share it. We help sow the seed as well. Uh, we were recently reminded that we speak the truth in love. Yes, yes, yes. And we continue to speak the truth in love. We need to speak the truth in love. We speak God's word because we want to see fruit in people's lives. And we've seen the example already what that looks like. John the Baptist, he came proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At Pentecost, Peter, Peter preached about Jesus and calls his listeners, this is Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul preaches a great sermon in Antioch, Poseidon, about Jesus Christ. He calls them to believe, and then he ends with a warning. If you do not believe, judgment is coming. In Athens, Paul preaches about God as the creator. He preaches that God commands everyone to repent, for God has fixed a day where everyone will be judged by the one he raised from the dead, being Jesus Christ, the God-man, King Jesus. And so we, see, we sow the seed in our marriages, to our children, and we bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We sow the seed in our small groups, our, our Sunday school classes. We sow the seed at work whenever opportunities come up. And so as Peter says, we're able to give a defense for the hope that's within us. And so we sow the seed of God's word in, an opportunity, in every opportunity we get, at home, at work, uh, on social media, at school. We trust that God will use this word. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so we are exhorted today by God's word, take care how you hear God's word. Pray with me. Father, Oh, Lord, you are overwhelming at times in a, in a good sense, Lord. That you are, Lord, that we are so small and insignificant, God. You are king. And, Lord, we are here and we continue to um, just rely on the gospel of grace, of mercy. That we fall so short, eternally short. But you, through Jesus Christ has made us right with you through faith in him. And Lord, we are so thankful. God, may we go out this week. Lord, may we be encouraged and challenged and convicted and built up by your word. Lord, help us to respond with, uh, with faith, to believe it, to trust, and to obey it and apply, apply it to our lives. Lord, you are good. And Lord, we are here. And Father, we, we look to you this week for strength and for guidance. Amen.